0: Good morning, Mike.
1: Good morning. So I don't know if anybody remembers "Good Morning Vietnam."
0: <laughs> I feel like we've mentioned that a couple of times on this. All list. right, here we go. <laughs> so uh, I'd, I'd love to hear um, just just kind of your take on as as you shifted, you know, subtly shifted focus over the past couple years, um, particularly towards your grandkids. I know you've you've mentioned that a couple times now, and in um, like a lot of what you're doing is aimed towards helping prepare them for uh, for their growing up in the faith. And I'd love to just hear more, like, what what is your vision for that? Um, I resonated, obviously, I resonate with it from the perspective of my own kids um, and just thinking, what, what ought I be hoping for, for them? And I'd love to hear just you kind of from your perspective, what do you hope for uh, with them as they grow up?
1: Yeah, that's a... Um... So again, listeners, we we don't uh, make these things up ahead of time. We we just get out early in the morning and say, "Are you awake? Are, you want to really want to do this?" <laughs> and uh, so I was on a podcast yesterday uh, with another organization. We won't mention that because we'd hate to lose our three listeners and uh, <laughs> to a better podcast. But he asked me the same question, uh, so I have had a little bit of thought on this, and uh, I told him, "Well, I'm really aiming uh, for." I have an audience of uh, 16, you know, the Puritans were famous for, we preach for an audience of one. And I said, you know, I really, uh, when I total it up, it's actually less than that. It's, it, we have nine grandkids. Tenth is out of the way, Lord willing, a month from now, we'll have 10. And uh, yeah. That's
0: a lot of rugrats. There's
1: a lot of rugrats, but you know what? I don't know why we ever had kids i just kathy and i say we should have gone straight to grandkids this is a lot more enjoyable <laughs> another podcast another day but uh so i'm at an age you now. uh i'm doing this primarily for those 10 and uh, towards the uh my the interviewee said Little quote, he said, You know, it's it's there's it an old adage if you aim to impact a thousand, you generally impact no one. If you aim to impact one, you might impact a thousand. And uh, mm. I said, Okay, so uh, so I'm arrogant, I'm aiming for 10. But <laughs> uh, and then I throw in the uh, Kathy and our, our um, three married kids, so we're up to 17, and that's a nice, good number. I'll stick with that. And here's why, and I take this uh, from uh, Really, a good writer and fun to listen to. Uh, Douglas Murray, he's a Brit. I Think he's in his maybe uh, late twenties, early thirties. Writes for the Spectator. Writes for the Wall Street Journal. He, uh, I think he's comes out of Cambridge. He's obviously bright. He was raised Anglican. He left that. He is calls himself an atheist now. He calls himself some of Christian atheist. He's gay. And um, he has written two books that are worth reading if you're a Christian. The first is um, The Strange Death of Europe. And it's basically how Europe has shed its Christian heritage. So here's someone who's left the faith saying uh, there's really not a way forward. Then his, an even better book, is The Madness of Crowds. And that's the recent one. I think it's two years ago, a year ago, which is playing off a uh, New Yorker writer years ago wrote a book, uh, The Wisdom of Crowds. And uh, Murray goes, Well, that's hogwash. And he cites four movements that have literally just blown through any barriers uh, the gay movement, um, so on and so forth. It's worth reading in this regard. Murray said so we're in a place now so get it here's a, here's a gay writer a uh, writer is gay I guess be a better way to put it uh, who is saying you can't even question any of this stuff anymore uh, you're racist homophobic you are something if you even just go uh, I have a question he said, so four movements, women's rights would be one and some others, who actually started out with some laudable correctives to what were prejudices and what have you that were, uh, 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 frankly, atrocious. And I think here evangelicals are guilty. Uh, often the treatment of women, first and second, just in all the the uh, crude, crude, um, all the jokes that the straights make about gays, or just the, ooh, ick factor, ooh, he's gay, huh, icky. Completely, uh, seemingly completely uh, unaware that, uh, yeah, we, everyone retains the image of God, even if they're fallen. And we have, we have no recognition of that. And our superior attitude of, I'm uh, glad I'm not gay, um, there's been some corrective, some, some, um, frankly, some, uh, God rebutting our arrogance. So here's a, but, but Murray's point is that all those that were healthy, the train was pulling into the station, he put it, just making some good gains. And then also of a sudden they accelerated, just blew right past the station and goes, here we go. And if you don't buy into it, you are an ugly, mean person. You're racist, homophobic, blah, 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 blah. I think the average Christian doesn't know the way forward. Yeah. That's why I'm doing what I'm doing. I think that uh, this is uh, LGBTQ, LSMFT uh, month. I'm just speculating what it will be three three years from now. But anyway... Uh, Eventually we're going to run out of letters. Now, I know. Okay, okay, we're having fun here. But the fact of the matter is, it's, it, is it is hard to keep up with how rapidly the world is changing. Um, a friend once called it profusion and tempo. Profusion is more and more breakout movements, tempo happening faster and faster. And the average, well-meaning, well-intended wonderfully warm Christian is not resourced.
0: Yeah, very much so. So you're, you are aiming to, to resource, um, you know, your, your grandkids as I, as I think about, you know, part of the intent of even doing this originally, you know, as you've stated many times, you stand on the shoulder of giants and, uh, I wanted to capture, uh, as much of that, you know, wisdom that's been passed on. And, and now, uh, much of which, uh, <laughs> resides in your, your brain, um, to, to get it, to be able to hand it down, uh, not only to friends, to family, but also to my kids one day, you know, that they may, uh, be able to soak up a little bit. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm curious what is it like what is it you hope your your grandkids uh aside from being resourced, you know, what is it what is it you hope for them to, to seek out or to you hope that they desire one day. Um what 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 I don't know what like a path they walk sure. But, um yeah. I don't
1: know. Yeah. All right here's a good way to think about it. It's good. So because I so listeners, because Pat and I are really great friends. We're also great crap detectors to one another and Pat calls out my crap a lot. And uh, so, so when you said, you know, this wisdom that resides in your brain, well, if that's, what, if that's the only place it resides, I'm going out of business. <laughs> wisdom doesn't reside just in the brain. And so, there, again, one of the fallacies, one of the tragedies, I think one of the idols of the enlightenment is, first of all, if this doesn't reside, if this wisdom doesn't reside in my body, I ought to be quiet. Period. And so, you know, the old adage is, behavior is more caught than taught.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: So, first of all, I am humbly going before the Lord saying, do I embody this? And if I embody it, how do I best embody it? And how the ancients, or the men of old, as C.S. Lewis would have called it, understood it, if you can body it, you can imagine it. If you can imagine it, you can draw a picture of it. And that's what I'm doing. Is the enlightenment has been so left-brained that we have created reams of reading and books, on and on and on and on and on. And a lot of it is true. I, I don't buy all of it, but... And a lot of good points that are made in most all of these books. But Lewis said, that appeals to the rational part where we find truth. But Lewis felt the more basic part of an individual is their imagination, and that's where you find meaning. So, what does that have to do with grandkids? I keep a notebook, I'm looking at it right now over here on the side of my desk, because I'm not really a collector, but I have collected these. You know what there is? It is a notebook stuffed with the pictures my grandkids draw. Hmm, ah. What, we, do you, yeah, what do you do with that? Well, I treasure it, I cherish it. I put up with the insults of friends who go, you hey, know, what are you doing there? <laughs> because uh first of all they're amateurish which is the where we get our word amore love they denote love and uh i'm noticing a good slug of them say love sage love Eloin." um zane is not yet a drawer he's more of a destroyer so uh (laughs) but he'll get there Uh, you know men are slow in the uptake on this thing (laughs) and we've talked about this before, Pat, but um, I mean, it has been, Lord have mercy is what I felt watching the last few years where people who have written brilliant things, seemingly brilliant things, and, they, and their mind is stuffed with all this stuff, but their bodies, are in massage parlors, in front of porn, in houses of prostitution, you just go, my God, have mercy. What has happened? It's because the picture in their mind, how they imagine what will make them happy, is very far away from what the Bible says. Very far away. And yet, they are, quote, successful, end quote. They are, quote, impactful, end quote. I think that um, this thing, that train, has has run off the tracks. And it is off in the scrub, just getting mangled in the trees and coming to a grinding, grinding halt. So Murray wrote his book, he said, uh, called The Wisdom, I mean, the what they call the Madness of Crowds. Simply to say, I'm just going to try to begin to punch a way forward on this thing. Because there is no way forward right now. This month, uh, and our town is festooned with uh, gay pride flags, you have three options. You can acquiesce, affirm, or attack. That's the three options before Christians, as I see it. Uh, affirm this is a celebration not of human dignity uh, but of proud to be gay which wise Christians know when the Judeans were in Babylon for their idolatries God said listen if anyone's going to boast boast in this that you know me and understand me that's what we ought to boast in Now, quite frankly, I think the last 500 years, especially the last 200 years, much of the evangelical tradition has not understood what it means to know God. Because it's all been stuffed in the brain. And our bodies best tell God's story. So we've been idolatrous, too. But your first option, why most Christians, when they see that, they just acquiesce. They go, mm, okay, and they head into a, uh, a Christian cul-de-sac where they can get around people that affirm one another. And it's of why our faith is more and more of a privatized affair. I don't want my grandkids growing up where they say, listen, we're all moving to Omaha because it's the last bastion of where, you know, they affirm monogamous heterosexual marriage. We're all moving to Omaha. No slam on listeners living in Omaha, by the way. Or you're which is what gay pride is. It is a celebration, not just a recognition and an affirmation. It is a celebration. And there are those who conform. I don't think that's, I don't think that that's biblical either. Or it's attack. And uh, again, I don't think that's biblical either. So I don't think there's a way forward right now, Pat. And I'm picking up on two things that are, worth um, listeners uh, considering. Pat and I have read uh, Taylor's book, *The Secular Age, and it it has a remarkable number of comments worth considering. But one is, he said, in a post-Christian world, and he thinks we entered this exile 20 years ago, year 2000, he said, it's not that there aren't millions of passionate, fervent believers it's the case that they're pretty much on their own in terms of resources for impacting the post-christian world there are not available resources for effectively impacting us that's my vision and i don't really i have no clue whether i'll impact these 10 wonderful grandchildren that's what I am it for. And if there's any spillover, so be it.
0: So this is still a bit of a journey for you even is like what those resources are. How do you, Oh my them? goodness. Yes. Yeah, Yeah.
1: Oh my goodness. And, uh, but I'm very, uh, I'm very encouraged in this regard that, um, so last week in the wall street journal, um, R. our Reno, I met him one time. He's the uh, editor of, uh, First Things, a conservative Catholic commentary magazine, really not even Catholic necessarily, but um, founded by Catholics. Um, and Reno, the article is, Why I Don't Hire Ivy League Graduates Anymore. Now, First Things is based in New York City, uh, and it is a, um, it's a scholarly magazine, I have a few friends who read it, but not many, but it comes out of Augustine's and other notions that you really have to understand first things if you're going to make any sense of the world. And, uh, but his article is this. He says, I'm not going to hire graduates, and by implication, he's including Christians in this, who simply acquiesced to get through school. In other words, they don't really have a way forward in the world we're in today. He goes, I'm not going to hire them if they haven't learned how to do that, then that could work very well here. And he says, actually, I'm beginning to look at schools like uh, Hillsdale College, Rutgers, um, you know, the next tier down, because they actually introduce students to some first things. So I feel in a way that I am helping Christians recover First things, but the first thing that demarcates human beings from the animal kingdom is our moral imagination. Then the first thing we have to recover is this how the ancients imagined the world, the pictures in their mind of what they call this enchanted background. And so Pat, for listeners, is part of a beta group we're doing, and we'll probably fire up a few more, but a beta group that's being reintroduced to ancient images for God, the gospel transformation, discipleship, and so on and so forth. And Pat, to your question, I'm very encouraged because the image that comes out of Genesis 1 actually is a way forward for being wise, discerning, engaging, and loving in a Gay Pride Month. And I think it's a way forward that most every Christian I know is unfamiliar with. It's right there in Genesis.
0: Well, now I'm dying to know what specific image you're referring to.
1: Well, I'm sorry to hear you're dying because <laughs> you may not make it till. Uh, so, Pat is in where well, we do these drawing. We do do these drawing workshops, and uh, but I drew this. Uh, I drew out this image for a friend in town um, a couple of weeks ago. And he said, Man, that's, that, that is a sane and sensible and wise and and loving." way going forward, you're not acquiescing, you're not giving up any ground, it's orthodox. I've never seen this before. And so it's not, listeners understand this isn't, oh, this is Mike Metzger, Inc. Uh, This is Mike Metzger Originals. You know, it's not like an Amazon original, MM original. This is simply, I'm working off of amnesia, which is really easy. And we, we are a faith tradition that are amnesiacs. And so if you introduce them to something Tertullian said about Genesis 1 and how we're made, they go, oh, wow, man, I never heard that before. Well, it's not like it's not there. You can find it. It's easy. It's right there. And so we're not we're not coming up with anything new, hip, cool, clever, innovative, uh, up-to-date. Um, we're simply taking these, this ancient background that was enchanting and it's covered over with the dust of 500 years, and we're going, people go, holy smokes. My aim in this, Pat, is that you will be able to just pull out a sheet of paper and uh one day your kids will ask you about xyz because we don't know what will be the issues five years from now and that's why i'm not all bent out of shape about gay pride because remember just a few years ago it was me too and we got all ah, i gotta get going about me too and now it's me me who what happened to that and uh, we have you know every few years we got something we really get ginned up about you can chase that stuff till the cows come home. Or you can recover the ancient background and calmly look at it and go, oh, well, wait a minute. Let me draw a picture for you here. This is a simple drawing. See, that's, that's the frame for how, we, how the ancients understood this issue. There's nothing new under the sun. This has happened before. And your kids can look and go, oh. i can draw that for my friends you sure can if the opportunity comes but we live in our imagination pat we live in our imagination the facts follow but they fit inside the frame but we live in our imagination and so i'm i'm simply helping this initial beta group recover the ancient imagination. And I tell them, but I ain't doing it for you. I'm actually using you guys for my grandkids. (laughs) They seem to be fine with that. (laughs) But say again, Pat, when I was coming into this, it wasn't like I was thinking, okay, we're starting this thing to develop a response to gay pride. No, because what if gay pride all disappeared tomorrow? I'd have no mission in life. Okay, we're doing it to reach religious nuns. No, we're not doing that. What if they all disappear tomorrow? Oh, okay. Well, we're doing it to bring exiles back into the church. No, we're not doing that. What if all the exiles disappear tomorrow? Why in heaven's name are you doing it? To be faithful to the gospel that we have not been faithful to for several hundred years.
0: Yeah, no, I I I really I like that a lot. I mean, I I think it it gets at the uh, you know the faithful, um, even even just almost rekindling that love. You know, it's as we've talked about before, thinking about what is the the core metaphor of our faith. You know, Christ, the bride, uh, just that rekindling of of that, that marital metaphor. I mean that there's a sense of love there, a draw to your spouse. That, that I see you doing that in the faith. And and yeah. Yeah. It's 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 definitely drawn me in more. And I think I it's it's helping clarify a little bit of that vision. And and even this this beta course I think is is I've enjoyed it, but it it provides further uh, vision for that of yeah, if if I can imagine faith differently then my kids will pick up on pieces of that you know and i think you see you could even just think about fallout from religious nuns you know i'm sure they I, i've met many that had parents that didn't really have an imagination of the faith outside of attending church on sunday it's just something you do and so that transferred to their kids and then their kids simply asked the question why are we doing this? <laughs> there wasn't a great answer, you know? Um, and I think to others, you know, maybe the parents had a great answer, but they, they, they didn't know how to draw that out and how to help fuel the imagination of their kids. So, yes.
1: If you know, cut me off, if we've covered this before, but this is, um, that's, that's exactly right. By the way, I, I was driving around with some of my grandkids yesterday and they're, so our six-year-old played that, you know, why this, blah, 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 Why blah, blah, blah. And I said, are we playing the why game? And she mm-hmm. goes, why? <laughs> and, uh, yeah, but right. They, they ask why. And so I was, I was reminded of, um, this is why we lack resources. I was talking to a friend a couple of years ago and, uh, I said, you know, you keep saying this is a relationship with God and a relationship with God. And there's some truth in that, but that's not a metaphor because I have a relationship with every single atom in this room right now. The air, the lights, the exercise ball I'm sitting on, the whole nine yards. It doesn't mean anything. So why are you reluctant to talk about your body and marriage? I said, because here's here's a conversation I had recently. Because I know this person would just say, gay marriage is not biblical. I said, here's how the conversation went. So, you're gay, you're married, yeah. You have a relationship with God, yeah. Um, you would say to them, well, that's not biblical. And they would say, why? And you say, because it's a relationship with God. Check, we've got that. Hmm. But it's intimacy with God, Check we've got that um, um, it's um, no it's, it's deep intimacy with Christ in a covenant relationship uh, over the creational mandate of man data, the blah 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 and they go check 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 got it um, oh, oh okay here's what I'm really trying to tell you it's monogamous heterosexual marriage why because um, the Bible says so why because it's God's uh, law why um because God loves us and wants our best for us also so do my wife and I why um it's just wrong why
0: hmm. see yeah
1: we use such generic. Now, by the way, they are correct terms, but Aristotle said it best: generalities are the refuge of weak minds. So, when you said, for example, you know, all this wisdom is stuffed in your mind, I know what you meant, Padden. But what we have stuffed in our mind. Displays a rather weak mind because we rattle off what we think are biblical terms and and concepts like they're pennies, like they're cheap coins. I mean, just and if I'm gay and I'm sitting next to my spouse, I go check, check, check. Yeah, in the yeah, prayer, yeah, yeah, Um, love the Lord, yeah, got it, got it, got it, got it, got it, got it. Well. But God disapproves of your marriage. Say what? Why? Verses. If you had a series of images in their mind for the gospel, best told in our bodies, in our sexuality, and in our gender, all the way down to our, dare I say it, testicles, which is at its root, testify, that's what the word denotes, to the gospel, it would be easy for anyone to go, oh. So that doesn't bear the likeness of the image of God, hmm. fascinating. Never, I've never known
0: that. Yeah, I mean, at its at its core, there's this this sense of my innate desires are what I ought to follow, and and you That's can right. see that play out. Let's even put the Pride Month aside, uh, and and you want to understand some of the the conflicts between maybe maybe younger evangelicals or religious nuns and older there's this this just a sense of take me as i am you know that's the the trend today that's the what's probably come and gone many times but is is clearly rooted today even in the church and and you juxtapose that mm-hmm. with this idea of well, wait a second there there's a there's an alignment with with God to be in His likeness, yeah. now those two pieces aren't necessarily opposed, but but do come into tension for sure. And that's I think right. that's uh, that's even helped me. Just the the imagination. Let's take for example church attendance. You know, of course I belong to church. I to, to the church, right? I I I prayed to accept Jesus. So yeah, I belong to the church. You know, <laughs> well. What does it mean to belong to the church with your body? Oh, oh, uh, I, I, I don't know, you know. Um, but like, yeah, I, just in talking to the friend, you know, the question of why go to, a, why do we need to go to a physical building? Why do we need to do that on Sunday? Well, what's the what's the easiest way to to belong to the church with your body? You know, that that's just like that's the the, the easiest thing you can do the least amount of work you can do physically right. worship with everyone on Sunday.
1: That's, that's a, that's so true. It's really well said.
0: Un, unfortunately, like I, I do think that may, that may not make sense to to some. And, and I share that not because, well, that's how people ought to think about it. Cause they, they may not resonate with it, but I share it as a subtle example. Like as, as someone who has questioned, why do we go to church on Sunday? That has almost been restored for me. It's it's a no-brainer now. It just I, I feel it in my bones. Oh, this is why we go. Um, it's not something I necessarily had explained to me intellectually. It's it's a it's a drawing in that an inkling that I began to sense after many of much of our time together um, in many conversations and and just uh, sort of a reimagining of of faith. Now it's just that, oh, well it doesn't make any sense not to attend on Sunday. And that's sort of the evidence that I think I've I'm seeing in my own life that I hope my kids attach to with listening to these and living out uh watching watching me live out and, and imagine the faith.
1: That's right. That's um that's well said and uh yeah so when you mention friends this won't mean necessarily mean anything to them you just again reinforced if there's not a picture in their mind if they don't share the same picture that's in your mind that's embedded there in your body then it it just it won't make any sense it would be like uh you know me telling someone a hundred years ago you can talk into this uh, piece of plastic and somebody outside of, of the world can hear you at the same moment.
0: Hmm.
1: So you don't wake up and, and say, Hey, honey, we're living in a technological world. It's what's called all of our imaginations are dormant, passive. So right now, Pat, where's your car right now at this very instance? I hope still in my garage yeah see so you've gone done this exercise too often <laughs> I was like, so the average person would say it's in my garage and you, you don't know that you you imagine it's there and the only time you'll ever think twice which is a good way to put it think twice is if you go out and your car's not there so we have a we have um, this whole network this whole collage of imaginations that are just they're there in our subconscious. And if, if no one ever pricks them, we never think twice about them. So if you just grow up and think, well, it's, this is the gospel, this is how I imagine the gospel, and it's this relationship, and here's all the words that we attach to it, and those all words all fit in the frame. So that's the way it is, Pat. And so I'm not thinking about, okay, I'm an enlightenment guy who believes in Jesus, so I'm going to pick and choose when I go to church. No, nah, it doesn't work that way at all. It's all that's all in your subconscious. It's yeah. when you wake up in the morning and go, um, "Biff's preaching this Sunday." I don't like to hear Biff. I ain't going.
0: Yeah, I mean the the, the great example of that for me was growing up, n- knowing oh yeah, sure Christ's you know we're the bride, the church is the bride, the church is the bride of Christ. You know it's uh, simple. And it wasn't until marriage was really really difficult that fortunately through through many uh many a uh i don't know if i'd call them just simple conversations but (laughs) much relationship with you over that time (laughs) and and others and 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 wise others uh, starting to realize wow so what does it mean to be christ for my wife what does it mean to to live out as if this is christ in the church what is the what is the standard there how has christ redeemed me as his bride uh that that was absolutely not embodied until that season of my life and so now when i think of church well it's uh am i married if i just think about my wife yeah nope gotta show up (laughs) 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 gotta gotta show up every day with her gotta gotta spend time with her gotta invest you know and and so it's just like because that is now the the way i imagine my faith it doesn't make sense to just simply sit at home and watch church on a screen that's that's not the same relationship that's not how i view my marriage at all so those became so intertwined that i just i just i can't shake that and that the way i imagine my faith with christ now
1: that's right yeah if you have a large enough home to imagine being on your home on zoom with one another when you could just get up and go in the other room. That's exactly right. But again, that would just be unconscious. You would, you yeah. know, be if your wife just said, Hey, let's zoom. You go, <laughs> let's come over.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, what kind of marriage do we have here for, but we need to answer So again, if the, when this is embodied, you just don't think about it. And, and, uh, so that's half the step is reimagining or recovering, right? I would say, uh, why bodily presence, but then after that, Flannery O'Connor does kick in and she's one of famously her last public address, Georgetown University, 1963, and she said, the things we taste and touch and feel affect us long before we believe anything at all. So now Ka O'Connor would say, and the things that you taste and touch and feel when you gather if you imagine what's mm-hmm. going on with those, you really do start to plunge into the deep pool.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: that's what this course that we're doing has been for me is um, <clears throat> it's kind of like um, I've had the joy of being in the Caribbean and also, um, boy, South Pacific and some of the waters you dive into. And uh, I was snorkeling back then, and but literally you dive in, you go. Ooh, this goes way down. It is so clear, and you and I could hold my breath for a period of time, and I'd go way down. You never see the bottom, and that's what I feel is happening for me in this course. Is uh, we could we could plumb the heights and breaths and depths of the love of God for eternity, and we're so we're just dipping our toes in this ancient background over the course of a couple of years so it just becomes second nature and so you see a uh, for me it was just beginning this month seeing the flag and going oh oh and uh just to go well well here's how that we would have imagined that you know 500 years ago Uh, i think how we would have imagined it and it's a it's Nothing original. But that for us the magic is right over there in this notebook I'm keeping of all these hand drawn images that denote love. And if these become hand drawn images in your imagination, Pat, denoting love, they'll just answer all these questions easily. And you'll never stop drawing.
0: Yeah, that's good.
1: Yeah. When I think of Ken, Ken Robinson, who just passed away uh, recently, but he has, you've not seen his his RSA animate TED yeah, Talk, it's good. Um, these kids, when they enter ice kindergarten, many, they overwhelmingly grade out on several um, scales as, as genius. And a lot of it has to do, they're unfettered in their drawing. And then by the time you get to a certain age, invariably, invariably American adults, if you ask them to draw, the first thing out of their mouth will be, I can't draw. I can't draw. Which literally tells you they're in their left hemisphere, and what the left hemisphere cannot do, it can't access images. That's the right hemisphere. So what they're telling you is that I can't draw a picture for that which is a which is a damn shame
0: yeah, and it's funny you say that there was there was some uh you know, there's there's been tension at my work just just navigating things in general I mean there always is in the workplace but I was trying to to sort of comprehend and better understand you know why why how do we not see past each other in these situations and and it just partly, I would suspect because of my time with you, I was like, yeah, I think I just need to draw this out and I, I just started picturing you know what what's the picture I see in my head? How do I imagine this and then drawing out from the other person's perspective, you know I wonder how how that person's thinking about this like what what do they imagine when they think of mm. you know what they've been saying
1: mm-hmm. and just
0: drawing this out and and holding them up side by side, I was like, oh my gosh, yeah. I get it. And if, if they don't realize how I imagine this, they're gonna think I'm speaking to something completely different. You know, and, and I can see how what they're saying, I yeah, it fits this imagination, but I can see how someone else could could listen to that and think that person is thinking about something completely different. And then we just speak past each other. And, you know, you, you think about the the state of Politics today, and every, I mean, if that's not the problem, I don't know what is. It's we, we fail to realize not only what we imagine, but what the other imagines, and we never talk to one another. We ne- we're, we just speak past one another. But it was so helpful just to see those two side by side, and then realize, oh, there's look at look at this picture. Half of it's actually the same thing. Right. You know, there, there's a lot of similarity here. It's just a, a couples important but subtle differences I, I bet we could talk through that and, and and make sense of that
1: oh that's just so good I, i've probably done it for over a 100 organizations churches and businesses but the first thing i do right out of the block is a uh, picture drawing i did this uh, for two groups of uh, chick-fil-a executives uh, several years ago and you know when they come back in the room their pictures are wildly different yeah. I mean, and they sit there and go "Oh, i thought we were committed to our core values those as you just said, listen, I joke 20 years ago, I used to fly around the world, a lot of United and it was fly the friendly skies and international mm-hmm. flight attendants were anything but friendly because they just lost a lot of their severance. They'd gone into receivership and come out and they were frankly bitchy. Um, so what about that core value?
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. That, that's uh, I have a friend, We'll close with this. I have a friend who, a really good friend, and he was talking about uh, he hopes to mobilize his church, and uh, that's the key word, and I like that. And I suggested to him just, you might consider doing a picture drawing exercise because um, the picture that came to mind when I heard that, oh, by the way, so what picture comes to mind when you hear mobilize? I'd be curious.
0: Uh, I mentioned. I immediately just mentioned or pictured like a little rover moving forward. That was just mm-hmm. immediately what came to mind. A little what? little rover, you know, like the Mars rover. It's mobilized. Oh,
1: it's I that. Yeah. Now, that is a great example because you really are from Mars and I'm from being Stuff. I never thought, of see, that's, that's, a, that's great, Pat. I, I go, what? The rover? That's not what we're talking about, Pat. Your
0: vision is what?
1: Get with it, Pat. Yeah, So there's a great example of why you do it. If you come back and draw the rover, I would draw um, two. One would be uh, why the Brits lost the war for independence here and why we won in D-Day. Uh, Rick Atkinson has written great books on this, by the way, if any of you are interested in one, one is called the British are coming, the British are coming. And here's why he says the Brits is essentially the British uh, army lost. They, they didn't know how to mobilize, but they found out mobilization. They did not have the resources to do it. You read what it takes to get their army of horses over here, mm. feed, care for, house is staggering and the British simply didn't have supply chain worked out and and so mobilized no they didn't they did not have supply chain worked out and it just crushed them in the end it wasn't what, colonists were great fighters we were atrocious but it wore them out the other books are uh, his trilogy on World War Two, where again, we enter the war, Britain does not have the supply chains. So we're gonna mobilize to recapture the, the continent from fascism and Nazism? No, not right now. We're gonna, And mobilization required supply chains. And those supply chains took almost three years to build I say all that because I like the idea of mobilizing. I would like to think that I could mobilize or help to mobilize my grandkids or even my friends. But I also think what R.R. Reno is saying in his Wall Street Journal article is the supply chains don't exist right now. And that's a hard thing for a lot of people to hear who are saying, but I support XYZ ministries on these campuses, and they send glowing reports about how many have come to faith and how many they got in discipleship groups and small groups. I agree. And all that is valuable. But I think Reno is closer to the truth in saying But given today's post-Christian world, and with profusion in tempo, accelerating multiplicities of ideas and belief systems on gender and sexuality and the rest, he's saying, I don't see evidence that anyone, Christians included, are resourced to in any way effectively impact this. I think he's pretty close to the truth. And that's why I'm doing what I'm doing for 16 folks.